VoiceOver describes what's happening on your iPhone screen. VoiceOver on settings. So you can navigate it just by listening. Books, contacts, calendar, double tap to open. Breakfast with Anna from 10 to 11. And get on with your day. Accessibility. There's more to iPhone. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi, everybody. This is The Ruck from The Times and The Sunday Times. After another fantastic week of European action, lots of controversy in the opinion of Stuart Barnes, la plaisir du mouvement. Is that correct? Did I say that right, Stuart? You said it quite beautifully. Uh, today, it's Stuart Barnes and myself. We're known as the old firm, not because of our ages, although they're quite significant, but because we've been doing this job a long time and we both come from the same school where Stuart was a contemporary of mine at Bayslake. Correct, Stuart? <laughs> I'm not certain we were contemporaries, but uh, I do recall when you were um, espousing my cause for England, Jeff Cook decided that uh, that must be the reason. It couldn't be anything to do with the way I played. So I think as legend has it now, Steve, contemporary is the only way we can be described. Well, of course, and uh, he was right about that as well. You were my mate. Oh, oh, oh and I've not recommended you as, a, as an England player. Quite right. Quite right, too. We've seen some fantastic action this week. We're just going to go through them. We're going to go through four Heineken European Cup matches. Absolutely thrilling. And I think it's true to say that the competition, which began really slowly, has now burst out all over, although not without problems. Also, the four European Challenge Cup quarterfinals have also been played. So we know the semis in both competitions. Stuart, let's go straight on to to, to 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 your game. The excitement you showed about rugby itself and how it can be played shone through your match report in the Times this morning from Toulouse and Sharks. La plaisir de mouvement, I think you, that summed it up, but clearly you were on cloud nine just like Toulouse fans after the end of the game. Yeah, I have been for a, a couple of years. You know, they may not be the most complete team, but what Toulouse are trying to do is almost redefine the game, and, and they're taking it back to a time before it was professional. And, and what I mean by that is professionalism took a route that was obsessed with organisation, structure, and power. It was a, a route that said you couldn't play attacking rugby from your own half because there was no space and it was dangerous. And it was almost seen uh, as the law of the game, you know, laid down by coaches from on high. And Toulouse um, have always been a stylish side, have always believed in the way you play. But in the last two years under Hugo Muller, adopting the great Pierre Villepreux's plaisir de mouvement, you are, you are seeing a team taking ambition 
accuracy. They call it efficiency, uh, not accuracy, efficiency to new levels. Uh, and what I love about it is that their capacity to say, if it's on, on our own try line, we'll go just as we would if it was on 25 metres out. And the people who believe there is no space on the field anymore because everyone's huge, fast, fit and magnificent are being made to look idiots because there is always acres of pitch, acres of space on a pitch. And what to lose doing uh, is manipulating it. They don't play structures. They play what is in front of them. And, and it was wonderful. And, and this is about the third time I've watched Toulouse in their European campaign produce similar sorts of rugby. And by the way, I thought the Sharks also played their part. Yeah, they did. When you see space, it's funny because we were watching it at Sandy Park and the pitch seemed to be about four times the size of it, uh, uh, the, the force, uh, four times the size that it normally is because of all the space. It seemed to be so much, so many people running towards space or into space rather than towards the nearest tackler. Well, Steve, you know, you get the situation is we've seen 15 years of, uh, of normal professional club stroke regional rugby where it's all about going through the phases. That's the television phrase that I love. Yeah. And what it means is we get the ball, we run into a tackle, we recycle it. We go into a tackle again. We go down onto the floor. The Plaisir de Mouvement stresses that what you want to do when you play rugby is keep going forward, keep your eyes open, and don't hit the floor. It's almost as if rugby has decided that in its sort of Calvinistic determination to lack any style and any boldness, we've gone diametrically the other way. And um, that's why I'm excited about Toulouse, because I do believe the great teams who play thrilling rugby can influence other coaches. And who knows that in, in 10 years' time, the core of the game will be the way to lose play. And, and people always say to me, oh, you're a former fly half, blah, blah, blah. You just want running rugby. I've no interest in that. I've always been interested in winning rugby. And I would say to, to anyone who's going to criticise my love of the way to lose play, at the half-hour mark, it was a turbocharged scrum that set them on their way. And in the last 10 minutes of the first half, it was the quality of their catch-and-drive line-out from 30 metres out to suck in defenders to make way for a, a, a beautiful try from Jean-Cruz Mellier. Toulouse are not just a team of basketball players. It's not what you used to call... Well, you called the old super rugby, didn't you? Basketball rugby. Toulouse don't play that. Toulouse have a mighty pack and they have a balance to their game. The, the, uh, there does come a sort of collision, or there will be coming up later. You say the potential in your column this morning, the potential for rugby's poetic side was revealed to dazzling effect. But you also hint that when these Toulouse players come into England, into the national branch squad uh, with Fabien Gaultier, uh, he, he sometimes is a little bit suspicious of what they're bringing in. Is that is that a co a collision that can be uh, can be worked out? Yeah, I, I I think it is, and you're absolutely right there. I mean, when you go on the website to lose management, I think their owner says we're not just concerned with winning, though they do win most of the time, especially in France and Europe. We're concerned with the style. Now, of course. 
none of us would be naive to think that at international level there isn't more focus on the result. And unfortunately, I do use that word, um, sometimes patriotism tips into nationalism and, and we just care about the result and nothing else. And I don't believe that's the way, but I understand that, you know, there's a World Cup coming and people aren't going to worry about the plaisir du mouvement if France lose by playing beautiful, stylish rugby when they could have won by tightening. So I do understand what Gautier is saying, but there's a balance here. And I felt France were on course for a collision in the autumn and in the early games of the Six Nations. Uh, they were getting quite prescribed in the way they played. I was watching them and thinking, I know what's coming. Then they lost that game. Intriguingly enough, they lost that game in Dublin against the core of the Leinster team, yet they played some really good rugby because, you know, let's not kid ourselves, Leinster, uh, Ireland at home is one of the toughest games in the world. And France found themselves that day, and then in the next two matches against England, mm. uh, we saw that thrilling movement, uh, and against Wales, they were perhaps even better with the ball in hand. But what we also saw... Um, in the Irish and Welsh game in particular, was a looseness that happens perhaps sometimes mm. when, when you're so intent on seeking out space. I wouldn't say Toulouse are the greatest defensive team. Once or twice, uh, the Sharks just glided through them with embarrassing ease. And for that reason, much as I love them, um, they've got their work cut out if they're going to beat Leinster because if they defend as they did Saturday... Uh, and France defenders they did against Wales, then, you know, Toulouse are going to struggle to win the European Cup and France will struggle to win the World Cup. And, and that's where you get this collision and that's where I think Gautier is trying to get the balance between his instinct, which is a more traditional one, and the Toulouse one, which is the driving force of the team. You look at the pack, it, it predominantly Toulouse, you look at the halfbacks and you look at Ramos, who, who's a vital influence now, mm. that's Toulouse as well. So there's a collision, and if the collision can be turned into a balance, then no one's going to beat France. Absolutely. Um, and also, I mean, in my opinion, Toulouse, in a way, they typify everything, the reason why we have the Heineken European Cup and, and always did. And I always thought the times when Toulouse weren't so good towards the end of various coaching range it, it was devalued did it, did it sort of when i think of the european cup i think of toulouse first is that the same with you steve i i i think of rugby and i over the years we've always sort of you know you have to compare it with uh the european cup as through most of my lifestyle time it's been in football but when i yeah. think of the european cup in football you grow up and tradition is very important isn't it uh, not just what's happening in front of your eyes and what's coming, what's been. And when I think of the football version, I always think first and foremost of Real Madrid. And w when I think of continental rugby, there's no doubt at all, if there's a Real Madrid light, because our sport is so much smaller, it is Toulouse. Yes. You know, Toulouse, Real Madrid, that is the aristocracy. That's the word. I mean, that. I've read it a lot in football reports about Real Madrid in their pomp, aristocratic team, and aristocracy is a word that is often used with Toulouse because of 
the style they play. It's not just the fact they've won that French League in the European Cup so many times. It's the manner they've gone about it. Let's go back to Friday evening with the, for the first tie. That was uh, Leinster against Leicester. Stuart, um, well played Leinster, albeit for the 85th consecutive time at home. What struck me really was how disappointing Leicester were. Did you not think that they might get a bit closer than that? Last Monday, if you remember, I said it's near as damn impossible that Leicester can win. So it's not hindsight. I didn't think they had a hope in hell. Um, I don't think they're a very good team. And I think their performance against Edinburgh the previous Friday highlighted that they weren't in the same league. They've had a couple of good games where they just seem to have found their way in the Premiership. It's not the same level and was no surprise. I, I... I felt they lacked imagination. I felt, when in doubt, they kicked too often and they had to think. You play Leinster, if if you kick, and there were quite a lot of good kicks, mm. there are also a lot that are a metre too long. And if they're a metre too long, you know, this guy, Keenan, is is playing spectacular rugby. Uh, O'Brien and Lowe, they're a tremendous back three. And what Leicester did, that they, they fed the counter-attacking urge of Leinster. And, and Leicester are not a quick team. Leinster are a very quick team. And they said to them, you decide the pace of this game. And the moment they did that, half the century was inevitable. So yeah. um, I, I, I thought that Leinster put together the most complete performance of the weekend. But I thought that it was very much helped by, by a very naive Leicester team. But no great surprise because I don't think they're, they're a very good team. Okay, that's uh, they've had enough time now, by now to to rebuild, so they certainly they're certainly lacking something. Let's just move on a bit to the fate of Saracens yesterday in La Rochelle. La Rochelle were almost beatable against Gloucester last weekend, but probably not beatable at all against Saris this weekend. I mean, I've always thought, and I think Saris probably in their hearts thought too that they're very competitive in the league, but I didn't think they had the extras. To uh, to be really competitive in the latter stages, but f- fair enough. La Rochelle back on form, Stuart, and another watchable French team now catapulted into the into the semi-finals. They're opposite to Toulouse, aren't they? But I think real problem for Saracens was the fact that Gloucester gave them such a shake-up and it, it focused their minds again. Um, there was almost a sense that Gloucester game. It's like, well, it's an English team at home. We won't lose this. And the the narrowness of that margin made them a very different team. And it, this took me back, uh, Steve, to the early twenty, the early part of the uh, the twenty tens, when Saracens were just starting to win in England and they were making semi finals and finals. And I remember losing, I think, two semis in a final, maybe to 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 Toulon and Clermont. And in yeah. every every one of those big matches, they were beaten up at the breakdown. And you know they 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 were playing some nice rugby. They were developing their game, um, but they lost all the collisions. And you won't beat the big French guns if you lose the collisions. And nearly a decade on, it was deja vu. They just got wiped out of the collisions. And I've read people say the referee was disgraceful, but I. I and I, I wouldn't say Andrew Brace I would have at the top of the world pecking order, but when one team is going forward at breakdowns and dominating and the other team is on the back foot, 
you will always get a major discrepancy in penalty count. And those penalties weren't because of Brace. They were because of the power of Toulon. And, you know, I think if the most complete performance came from Leinster, the most stylish from Toulouse, this was about power. It was the most powerful performance. And they're going to be a hard team to beat. They're, they're, they're not easy on the eye like their French counterparts to lose, but um, they play in a different way and they're, they're hard to beat because the way they play it, uh, they do it very well. Uh, I've always thought that in terms of power, you're absolutely right. And uh, I don't think they've ever come remotely um, uh, close to replacing Will Skelton. I don't think that young Hugh Tizard, the, this lock, the sign from Harlequins, is anything remotely yet in that league. And it was sort of ironic, but very telling how well Skelton played yesterday. Um, and I think, I think, I think um, they've got sort of a bit of a, re of a rebuilding to do for Saracens, but they do have an amazing academy and they've got some great players. So I don't, I think in maybe a year's time, they might be slightly back up to those doubles. But I agree with you about an open side. I'm sorry, not an open side. I agree with you about the, uh, the breakdown. So important. I think the thing is, under some referees, it is way more important than, than against others. So disappointing Saracens and Leicester. I thought Saracens put up more of a fight than Leicester. But um, again, we can come on to a team, an English team, which did put up an absolute whale of a fight in at Sandy Park. Um, Exeter were out there with, I think it was their third choice hooker in Frost, a second or third choice scrum half. They really unfamiliar looking team people that are they seen before in their colors stormers were colossal in size uh, could hardly get off the but through the bus door when they arrived but a magnificent win for exeter and i think it was the greatest Exeter performance i've ever seen which considering how much the team has changed and how many people are leaving and how big they're rebuilding was sensational and, and to freshen the play like that it's going to be incredibly tough to repeat it in the semi-finals, but to play like that at the time when season tickets are back on sale and all that, I thought was incredibly timely. It was full of emotion and passion. Stadium was like it used to be uh, packed, and uh, people like Frost, the young hooker, were, were, were just tremendous. And actually, even though I, th I think Exeter thought that they would be wiped out in the scrum. Well, they really were down to the bare bones, but actually hardly ever went back. So I don't know what it's, uh, how much of it you saw, Stuart, but uh, they played the Stormers to a total standstill. It was it was it was a lifetime performance by some of those young lads. Yeah, I mean, I I go back and think the twenty eight twenty semi final win against Toulouse might have been the high point. But I take what you're saying, Steve. That was an Exeter team um, at the very peak of their powers. And you look at this one and you see names like Wyatt there and you see Frost and Beckinsale at scrum half and you're thinking, blimey, how are they going to do that? And I, I think, I don't want to spoil the party, but I don't think the Stormers turned up. I think when John Dobson was on this show a couple of months ago, he was intimating that they'll give it a go as far as they can, but he never sounded like it was a, a, a priority. And I think you get to the quarterfinals, it's got to be a priority. You're going to get wasted. And and they did. And so that that's the South African angle. The English angle, I thought maybe that was the best structured performance, the best coach there. Everything Exeter did, the pattern was right. They stayed in shape. 
this was game planning well done as opposed to narrowing of inventions. But well done to them for that. It was a, a, a brilliant effort. I think a couple of names. Frost, now this might sound like hindsight, but believe me, if you look at my busy old notebook, you'll see Frost brackets England squad when he was at Wasp. I just kept watching throughout his career, ever since I've seen him, his dynamism is sensational. And, you know, I, I wrote a piece at the end of last week. Hookers don't have to hook anymore, so that's taken out of the equation. So if he can throw, you know, this bloke surely should be someone you'd be thinking. He had something a little bit different. He's been fabulous, a great sign for Exeter. Mm. He, he's, he, he has accelerated their type five made a big difference there and because of that young Beckinsale's gone really well now I felt that Maunder the Maunder brothers were not good enough at this level and a youngster's come in and he's sharpened them up I felt that Rob Baxter made a horlicks at the start of this season the end of last season when he started mixing and matching his right halves Joe Simmons wasn't playing well but this bloke had done so much for them. You had to ride through that crisis. And he didn't. And I felt that Simmons lost his way and his confidence. And as you say, Steve, I, I, it wasn't obvious, but it was an almost faultless performance. What I totally agree with you is about the game planning. You could almost sense in everything that happened that yeah. that Exxon identified it as a key area. I mean, the tackling and the and the defensive shape was brilliant. Frost, as you say, was brilliant. And also, God, you know, we were reminded, sometimes Henry Slade can't get into England games. We were reminded of his, of his excellence. I mean, he had two booming 50-22s, which both led to tries in the end. And some of them some of them were played played like they haven't for ages. And you know, it was it was vastly encouraging for for them. Vastly encouraging, and well, Henry Slade can't sometimes get into the England game because of the manner England have played. Yeah. Um, wooden, predictable, overly structured. Exeter are very are very structured, but they're not wooden and predictable in their structure. And there's a massive difference there. And England provide no fluidity in the last two years under Eddie Jones. And and let's be honest. They've not been that ambitious under Steve Borthwick. And you have to have flexibility and fluidity if you want to use him. Otherwise, you might as well pick two tanks and stick them in the centre. And the little tuck, the little passes, the little shifts, the vision, they were all there again. So, and like we say, this was what Exeter have always been really good at. Their management has put together brilliant plans that have always outwitted the English opponents. And they did it again. They've always had an amazing spirit. You know, this, it comes of the academy. It comes of people being forced to live within five, ten miles of the ground and not being able to live in Bristol because they fancied that, making them go there. This was a, a, a heart and soul and intellectual exit of performance. It was great to see. Stuart, um, the secondary competition, occasionally it stirs the blood, sometimes it doesn't. I thought this weekend it, it was good. Scarlet's... Um, had a really rough time in many uh, areas, but they put Claremont away uh, really rather shakily at the end. But Scarlet's um, threw against Claremont, which I thought was good. It's nice to have a Welsh team in there somewhere. And also in uh, the nationalistic sense, nice that Benetton beat Cardiff because they they were clearly excited. There was clearly a big crowd and Benetton and now can hold their heads up into the semi-final. So 
at least two welcome results there, I suppose, for the competition. Brilliant. You know, Italy should really have beaten Wales. They blew that. Mm. And Benetton beaten Cardiff. It's just a reminder that the Italian uh, rugby is, is on an upward curve. And, you know, Italy didn't get a win, but they played some good rugby. And I think it's quite important. And I think uh, as a, a neutral, you know, rug, as a neutral rugby fan, we, sh we should be delighted for any Italian success. They're going to find it hard against Toulon, who looks set for a fifth Challenge Cup final, but they haven't won one yet. And what I would say as well, Scarlets, you mentioned the point, they, they've had a difficult year. They knocked out Clermont. Now, I was hearing that Leicester were, were back in business because they beat Clermont. And I kept saying, Clermont are rubbish. Yes. I think Scarlets will have to be better to beat Glasgow, who I, I think Glasgow look a good bet to take on Toulon in the final and maybe, just maybe, a win for Scotland. That, that, that does look like the likely final of Glasgow-Toulon. Um, a lot depends then on how much, I think, Toulon want it. Sometimes you go down there and they can't be bothered. Next day you thought you think, oh, we, I'm, we, here we are again, they won't want to be bothered and they play like uh, like diamonds. So that, that that's... Anyway, it's 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 a worthwhile competition this time. And yeah, Scotland centres Steve in, in, in tandem... Yes. Uh, against the Scarlets and maybe then Toulon in the final, you know, um, some tremendous talent still there. And, okay. and interestingly enough, no English teams. Does that tell us anything about the strength and depth of English club rugby? I don't know. Well, I think it does because I, I think we, we already know that the, the lack of a really convincing fourth and fifth team yeah. is, is a bit disappointing. But this just, um, just before we wrap up, Stuart, um, in Europe, uh, Leinster playing every game at home, and that's a fast. Yes, it is. Um, th even if they'd have conjured away that they had to play the quarter or semi away, that should have been the case. No team should have three home games. Also, um, how long is the, is the URC and Europe going to be going to exist in this format with South Africans? Because some of them look knackered, complaining about the roots up there. And I cannot believe that some of the South African teams have got to come back up this week. Surely there's going to come a time very soon where this gets called into question. It is the European Champions and the European Challenge Cup, and it should be. I'm afraid URC, um, for whatever reason, were keen to accept South Africans. And I understand for financial reasons why South Africa would want to do it. But this has always been part of putting together a global world order, yeah. and it will move from URC to an international order where we will have nothing but test match rugby. And for five years, it will be great. And thereafter, we'll be bored witless and there'll be a few people, private equity, who will have made many millions and won't give a damn. <laughs> that's a cynical but very realistic view. Okay, that's enough for Europe for now. Uh, soon we'll be speaking to our Jess Hayden as another week, uh, weekend of the Six Nations coming up. We're now joined by Jess Hayden, our superstar of uh, rugby coverage. I was going to say women's rugby coverage, but uh, uh, just rugby coverage full stop. Morning, Jess. Uh, three big games coming up, lots of issues. Where do we, where are we going first and where's the big action this weekend? Hi, Steve. I think that the big action this weekend is Wales, England at Cardiff Arms Park. It's a set out crowd there um, in Cardiff. And I'm very excited because I'm going as a fan. I've decided, I said to the editors, I'm, I'm not writing this one. I just want to go as a fan. So 
I'm looking forward to it. Oh, well done. No, they never let me do that when I go up. Every time I ask to go somewhere, they say, no, it's too expensive. Um, Wales, England, it's, there's, there's a bit of a head of steam being built up by Wales because they have won two games reasonably well. But would I would I be wrong in saying that your experts are slightly anxious about fitness and, and the pace of Wales and their ability to last the whole 80 minutes? Yeah, so I have been impressed with Wales at this Six Nations. I really have. And in terms of their fitness, it's so improved from the World Cup. And I've been speaking to Wales players this week about why that is. And there are, there are many reasons, but there are centralised contracts that mean they spend all their time together in the Vale by the countryside in South Wales and then they're kind of released back to clubs. I think that's a big part of it. They're spending a lot of time in the gym. So they do fit. I think my concern and um, that, that I said last week and um, quite a few listeners have put in touch because they disagree with me, which is absolutely fine, is about the the fitness of the the front row, in particular Cydia Tupinotti, because yeah. she's a fantastic player and I do really admire her and she is, she is great. I was just concerned about putting too much pressure on her and kind of heralding her as this star player when I still think there's a lot of a lot of her game that needs to improve before I'm comfortable doing that. But I am really excited to see her against a front row that includes players like Sarah Byrne, who's much more of a dynamic prop. I think that will be good for, for her development as much as kind of a test of how strong a carrier she is. Very good point. And Sarah Byrne is just, well off the scale. I mean, it's almost like a, 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 an object of wonder, the way she does get around the field. What uh, what would they do with their team? Will they go flat out? Will they give some new people a, um, a go, Jess? Or who would you like to see in the team of like fringe players that you admire? That's a really good question, Steve. I think that the game plan that they've been playing so far, and we spoke about it a bit last week, about keeping Sarah Byrne out on the, on the wing and giving her a bit more time to be creative and um, put pressure on on weaker wings. I think that's the game plan they'll be going for. Emma Singh is a player that I really hope to get more, she gets more game time. She's a phenomenal player in the in the Premier 15s and she plays at Gloucester Harbury where she's been sensational. And lots of the Wales players play in Gloucester Harbury. So I think using her expertise, she knows the Wales team potentially better than, than anyone and knows how they like to attack and knows their weaknesses as well. So I, I would hope to see her get some game time as well this week. Mm, I, I have to say that uh, from viewing the game at Newcastle, I just thought there were three or four uh, England players coming through now to world-class to replace other world-class players. It's very, very significant. But just before we go on to the other games, Jess, there's, there's, um, and there's an issue off the field regarding periods and changes shorts and all that. Now, people are thinking, well, changes shorts, what's that, what's that about? But actually, it is a very, very significant issue for players, isn't it? Absolutely. So a lot of the players in the Six Nations play in white shorts. And when you're on your period and you have white shorts on it, obviously, adds that bit of worry. Are you going to have a leak that people are going to see? And is that going to be embarrassing? I've spoken to um, professional players who've had that experience and say it's absolutely humiliating you just want to get up the field as quickly as possible so Ireland at the start of the Six Nations announced that they were changing the colour of their shorts from white to to navy blue now it's not a decision that was made by the players it was more to do with Canterbury their sponsor and the uh, and Ireland themselves the players say that it's good for them to have kind of the the option to wear them but I've also heard players say that they feel like they're wearing training kit when they're playing and also that the shorts don't fit very well. It's all about making sure that these options aren't just a 
PR thing. And to me, you know, we see what the Lionesses have done in football. They've changed their shorts to a navy blue, but those shorts have leak protection in them. So it's like an extra layer of protection so that if you were to have a leak, it wouldn't come through your shorts. So it's about making sure that it's not just a, what's the most obvious thing we can do to look like we're supporting our women. And I wrote a piece in the week because I spoke to a few Wales players and then I, I spoke to the Wales head coach in Cunningham and the Wales uh, head physiotherapist for the women, Joe Perkins, about what they're doing for their women. And it was just so much more comprehensive period tracking software so that the coaches and medical staff can see in real time where their players are in the cycle and not just looking at what happens when they're menstruating but also at what phases of the cycle were they able to get personal best in the gym because they've got a bit more energy and more strength as well and at what points do are they more likely to tear an ACL and we know that ACL tears in particular are very kind of prominent in the world squad and they're without a few key players because of ligament ACL injuries and ligament injuries in general and it's been really eye-opening because to me that's the kind of support that helps players because it's helping them understand their own cycle and they're also offered kind of tailored support like period underwear so it removes the need to wear mm-hmm. a pad or a tampon and wearing a tampon while playing rugby can be quite dangerous mm-hmm. and instead they're kind of just knickers that that soak up the blood and they're also offered protective pads for their bras to help prevent them being hit when they've got sore breasts because they're on their period. So it's really kind of breaking down the taboos, talking about what these issues are and then doing proper things to support players. And I think that's so much more important than changing the colour of their shorts. Um, and Wales themselves, I spoke to the players and they said, actually, we don't want to change the colour of our shorts from white to to red or to, to dark blue or to green, as it would probably be in Wales. They said, we just don't want to do it because we don't need to. We like playing in white shorts. And I think that's telling that because they're so well supported in ed- every other area, they're not that worried about leaks because they understand their periods. They understand what they need to eat. They understand how they need to hydrate and they have tailored knickers so they don't have those leaks and so yeah it's been really interesting i've been looking into it a lot this week and i, I hope everyone uh read the piece to which you referred referred where you hinted that um you know pr gestures are one thing but actually it's a it's, it's a much bigger subject than just banging say yuri and you short sort of thing exactly right yeah okay two more games on the weekend um we'll come to your predictions in a minute I, i'm sorry to lay that one on you but um, Italy versus Ireland, you really do sort of fear for Ireland again, don't you? Because Italy are not, not playing too badly at all. Yeah, I mean, if you looked at the scoreline from last week against England, you might consider that Italy are having a poor Six Nations. They're not. They are a strong team. Um, Ireland are, are struggling, and I do think that Italy will win this match. I, th- I, I As I said last week, for Ireland, it's almost a case of get this tournament over and done with and then look at what they can sure. can build on. France, Scotland, um, I'm slightly confounded because I thought Scotland would way much improve when they played England. Obviously, it hasn't really turned out that way. Is that a bit of a Rourke's drift thing for Scotland in, away in France, Jess? Yeah, it's the fixture that no one wants to play in, is it? And Scotland have had a, a bad run of form so far, but they've been building on their performances and we, we see them slightly improved in the second round. So I'm, I'm hoping that they're able to learn from that and They've been using a psychologist to try and get themselves over those really narrow 
um, point differences because that, that constantly happens with Scotland. So although I don't think that this will be a tight match, I'd like to see Scotland be a bit more competitive in the second half because that tends to be the time for me that Scotland kind of put their heads down and um, are unable to, to take advantage of opportunities on the pitch. Jess, I, I, this is going to sound really awful against Wales, but do they have a, any realistic chance or against England, or will it just be a brave performance? Will 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 send them along the road a little bit? I I don't want to write Wales off because they have improved massively since the World Cup, and they've got they've had two strong performances so far. I think they've also got their best chance of beating England in a few years because England are without so many of their key players. We keep saying for injury or other reasons. So there is the chance. And you know what? I would not be surprised at all if Wales are ahead for, for a bit of this game at least. Um, I, I do think that England have the, the strength in their bench to be able to pull away, especially in kind of final 20 minutes. We know England tend to just kind of rampage on in the last... Mm-hmm. Um, quarter of the match and and it, it feels really disappointing when you've had a quite competitive match up to that point so I, I do think England will win this match but I really don't want to write Wales off I think that they have something that there's momentum building the atmosphere in camp just feels brilliant at the moment I do think that's important so we'll see a sellout crowd at Cardiff Arms Park is the perfect location really isn't it for some kind of miracle so I'm keeping my fingers crossed, really, because that would be so entertaining and brilliant for the competition. It, it would, and a really tight game would be fantastic. And there, there's a prediction. Jess says she wouldn't be surprised if Wales are not leading for a bit of the game. Well, Wales will hope it's the last bit of the game when they're leading. Jess, thanks a million. But please, uh, in Cardiff, it's a student city. Uh, you're going as a fan. I don't want any misbehaviours, and I expect <laughs> you to take... I expect you to take a lead and at least keep one eye on the game. I will, I promise. I'll be on my best behaviour. Thank you very much. That's our Jess, Jess Hayden. Jess, we're at Cardiff. Have a lovely time. I look forward to speaking to you soon. Thanks, Steve. VoiceOver describes what's happening on your iPhone screen. VoiceOver on settings. So you can navigate it just by listening. Books. Contacts. Calendar. Double tap to open. Breakfast with Anna from 10 to 11. And get on with your day. Accessibility. There's more to iPhone. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Finally, our god or goddess of the week, Stuart. I suspect you may be revisiting the south of France for yours. I am, yeah. But I'm not going for a player. I'm going to go for Pierre Villepreux. 
he still carry on his pleasure de mouvement movement. Uh, it, it's available in England and France. It's a philosophy, and instead of being an Olympian god, he's somewhere high on Mont Ventoux, looking down, and uh, his his views on rugby are changing the game, I hope, for the better. Pierre Villepreux for me, Steve, yourself? Uh, extraordinary one, and I can't, can't disagree with that. I'm just going to go really back down to earth and, and go for uh, Ollie Woodburn on the uh, Exodus left. Tremendous yeah, player, great attacker, brilliant defender, excellent kicker, and uh, just a joy to watch, a joy to talk to. So we've got a philosophic contender this week and a straight-up, hard-nosed rugby player. Go cool. Thanks for listening to us this week on The Wreck, and thanks a million for Stuart in excited form there. Let's hope that we're both still excited for the rest of the season, Stuart, and through the World Cup. Thank you, mate. Thanks, Steve. And thank you to everyone who's listening. helps you control which apps you share your exact location with. There's more to iPhone. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1, only from Rust-Oleum.